We're going to go in our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 14. And uh, we want to preach a, uh, a standalone message this morning called Empty Seats. I'm waiting on the sermon to load. <laughs> it will. I'm confident. Loading. We always put out some extra seats uh, for Easter here, and uh, as as we did um, three weeks ago, and uh, we uh, usually remove those seats um, the week after. Well, because we had uh, guests here last Sunday, we left them out. And I decided to leave them in again today because I want to make a point. Um, here's a BCC chair. I want to talk about the BCC chairs today. I want to talk about what they mean to God and what they mean to probably most of us if we stop and think about it. This chair was purchased by the church all those years ago, not an object to admire or analyze or talk about the steel and the nylon and the other fabric that's involved in it. It was purchased to accommodate the human heart, uh, a soul created by God, someone who, according to the psalmist David, uh, in that great poem, in Psalms 139, had their innermost being examined by the loving gaze of God. That's the Passion Version. I don't know if you've ever read the Passion Version of the Bible that's out in many, many books of the Bible. Uh, someone that sits in this seat that has, God has gone into their future and prepared a way for them. Someone that, that can't hide from the presence of God. Someone that God has made mysteriously complex. Someone whose creation is marvelously, this is the way the Passion Bible reads it, is marvelously breathtaking. Someone who is mysteriously complex. Someone who every bone is God-formed. Someone who is created in the secret place, skillfully shaped from nothing to something. Someone whose days are numbered and already planned by God's book. Someone that according to the Passion Version of Psalms 139.16, God is thinking of every single moment. That's why we bought that chair for that person. Someone that is crying out somewhere in their psyche like David did in Psalms 39. He said, see if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. God, in his infinite creativity, put it in the minds and hearts of people to create seats for wonderfully and sometimes weary people like that. God, in his foresight, put in the hearts of the church leaders of Bethany Community Church to build a room and fill it with those seats. So when I think about how God feels about people and how he has assigned, assigned the church a role in their lives that no other corporation can fill, 
I feel like we have to do something about a situation that we have at Bethany Community Church. Furthermore, the matter that I'm bringing up to you today is one that if I communicate clearly the heart of God, I am beyond confident because I know you and I have confidence in you and, and I'm so grateful for all of you. And I, wanna, I just want to stop and thank you for being such an awesome church. Thank you. The past three weeks, Bethany, you have shined. You have, you have performed uh, up to the level of the nobility of the majesty of God. And I'm so happy to be a part of you. I'm so blessed to be your pastor. So I'm confident that I can, if I can clearly communicate the heart of God today, I'm beyond confident that you will be begging me to show you how you can help. Sometimes an organization, though, has to get to the point where they see a situation and they find it intolerable. And they say, we can't stay here. As Bill Hybels teaches that great lesson many of you have seen, that leadership is taking people from here to there. And he says so eloquently, much better than I can, but it's there very simply, that we will never move to there until we get sick and tired of being here. We will never move to there as long as we can tolerate here. So I just want to talk to you about something today that I find I can't stay there anymore. I don't know about you, and I, I don't, I think I know you want to go with, with me. I think so. I'm pretty sure, but I can't be sure until we act. The sad situation that I'm so burdened out today isn't the finances. You, you always could use more funds and you could always want to, want to hire another staff member or you want to buy another piece of equipment or you want to improve, uh, improve the facilities. You could always use another $10,000. But, but we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. I looked at the finances the other day as I look at them every week to see how, how things are going. And I, I was just like amazed at what we did downtown and how, how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we pay for all of that? How, how did that happen? And, and I know we had a pledge program, but the pledge program didn't quite meet our goals. It, it went a long ways, but it didn't quite meet our goals. But we still paid for everything. And... So, the, so I'm not here burdened about the finances. I, I'm not burdened about the staff today. I, I'm not burdened or, or upset or frustrated about the flow of the services or the quality of the worship team or the quality of the ushering and those sort of things. I, I'm not burdened by that. I, I'm not burdened because we need better technology. Now, the situation that I just find totally unacceptable today and one that y'all want to hear me out and don't feel judged or criticized because every time I point one finger at you, I'm pointing three at me. Uh-oh, low battery. This, is, this could be bad. I think someone sabotaged it today. They put a low battery. They drained my battery. The Russians. The Russians are... <laughs> hacking in, you know. The situation that I just find unacceptable is empty seats. This is not acceptable. That we could be this rich storehouse of the grace of God and so much talent 
and so much ability in the seats, on the stage, out in the lobby, up at the other end of the building, that we would be tolerant of empty seats. How can this be okay? Luke chapter 14, I'm going to call it the story of the empty seats today. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, you may, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, now listen to what he says, this is very important. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Going to heaven, yes, the life to come. That's what we're looking forward to. Jesus replied, a certain man. Whenever Jesus said a certain man, it means it really happened. It's not a parable, it's a story, it really happened. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five, oaks, five, oxen, uh, uh, five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant. The owner of the house said, I can't tolerate this. This is not going to happen in my house. We're not going to have empty seats in this house. And he said, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go on the roads and country lanes. This isn't tolerable. And make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Think, think in life. Think of all the places that hate, em- hate empty seats. Sports arenas and football stadiums hate empty seats. Movie theaters hate empty seats. Airlines hate empty seats. Ask United. Restaurants hate empty seats. I, I never drive by a restaurant with an empty parking lot. You know, over and over, you go by, every day you go by two cars, three cars. I never drive one of the, by one of those restaurants and turn to Sherry and say, Sherry, we got to eat there sometime. That place is really empty. That must be really good food because no one goes there. The only place in, in society where we're okay with empty seats is in the church. It's the only place. It's the only place where people are fine to have the seat next to them vacant. In fact, they kind of like it because they can put their purse there, put their iPad there. It's the only place where we don't try to cram them in. It's the only place 
where we just don't move everybody to the front so the latecomers and those, those guests can have seats and they don't have to walk down in front of everybody. It's the only place where we allow ourselves to have this strange philosophy about empty seats. It's the only place, that, and, and here's, here's the kicker. It's the only group in the world. We're the only place that claims if you believe our message, you will spend eternity with God. And if you don't believe our message, you will spend eternity separated from God. The restaurant doesn't promise you that. Gillette Stadium doesn't, doesn't tell you that. The, uh, the, the, the uh, TD North, Bank North Arena doesn't tell you that. Only the church tells you that we really matter more than all of those organizations. That we really matter because we have eternity to offer you. How can we tolerate empty seeds? This passage, you know, let's talk about this passage. Now, it's not just talking about Sunday morning churches. It's talk, Jesus was talking about the, the places in your life where you represent God and you socialize. Oh, wow, I told you I had an amazing staff. Is that amazing? I don't like white, though. Can you get me a silver one? <laughs> Let me tell you a few things about this passage. We'll do a little bit of theology here today. This passage is not about the future fulfillment of a banquet in heaven. It's not. When a man at the table of Jesus said, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, Jesus made it clear. Here's my current expectation of members of the kingdom. Here's my current expectation. A certain man gave a feast. I want the space. Now listen, listen carefully to me. Jesus is saying to these people, I want the spaces of your life, the spaces of your life where you connect with humans and you socialize and you fellowship and you share. I want those spaces to be filled with people because you are a member of the kingdom of God, a representation of the, of the kingdom of God, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Jesus was amplifying the concept that the kingdom of God is not a banquet in the future. It's not a banquet in the sweet by and by, but the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now. You are celebrating the way you're going to celebrate eternity is how you're doing it now. The way you live in hell is the way you do it now. If, if, if you are on your way to hell, let me tell you something, you're already there. Because you have already started to serve things that will not satisfy you. You've already started to make things the Lord of your life. You've already started to be an idolater and you've already started to serve things that, that create cravings in you that you cannot ever fully meet and cannot ever feel, feel, feel satisfied. And that's what hell is. Hell will be an eternity of not being able to have your cravings met, but you will not want to be free but you will spend eternity chasing whatever it is that you have replaced God with to try to be happy. The kingdom of God is when you have made Jesus Christ your greatest treasure 
and He has made you happy and He has made you satisfied and it's working so well for you, you just want to get God more customers. Amen? This passage also is about how we socialize and how the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, our membership in the kingdom of God is supposed to impact our social life. God is not just calling us to be friendly. He's calling us to be friends with his creation. The feast, let me give you, I mean, this is really important. It's not in any slides or it's going to go on the wall. So I want you to listen. The feast represents grace. The certain man represents those who have discovered and been enriched by grace. And grace is a broad, broad term that has to do with our eternal salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, and the knowledge that every single blessing we have is given to us by the grace of God. The Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Even the giftings of my personality are giftings of the grace of God, and I don't deserve them. The poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind do not represent a social class, but it represents those who are hungry for grace. That's why we say grace before we eat. I said, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind do not represent a social class, though it applies to that. And it, 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 it informs us to know that God wants us to care about the poor and the blind and the lame, those who are physically in that situation. But it has to be more than a social class or, at less, or, or the guy who gave the, the, the feast would not have also been a member of the kingdom of God. If God only wanted the poor, and he does want the poor, don't, uh, don't let that point be lost. We could find a lot of other texts that talk about our, our emphasis. We should have the poor and the poor and the marginalized. So I'm not negating that. But if God was only going to want to let certain social class into the kingdom of God, we would not have all these scriptural illustrations of God bringing the very wealthy also into his grace. But the wealthy have to understand that they are poor. In when it comes to the grace of God. Verse 13 that we, that we just referred to is the amplification of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the application of the scripture that says, blessed are the poor in spirit from, from that Sermon on the Mount. Many of us in this room are materially blessed, but we're so aware of our need of grace that we feel an unpayable debt to the bearers of good news. That doesn't lessen our obligation to the poor, but it levels the playing field. Our awareness of grace, this is so incredible. Our awareness of grace annihilates class distinctions. It totally annihilates class distinctions. Our awareness of grace does that. So in this respect, the text does address the obliteration of class distinction. By the way, the obliteration, this is, oh, this is so powerful. The obliteration of a class distinction as a, was a foreign concept to those of Jesus' day and to, and to Eastern culture, just as, it, just as it is in a lot of Eastern culture still today. We, we think equality is a message created by the cultural elite of our day. (laughs) 
But let me tell you, it's not true. In, in East, many Eastern religions, if karma rules the cosmos, minorities deserve whatever misery they're suffering. That's the doctrine of most of the Eastern part of the world. Even today it is. And, and, and the, the, it, whatever, that was an, an Eastern idea. Inequality has been the norm. Listen to me. Inequality has been the norm for most cultures for all of history. Jesus took the wrecking ball to what Judaism had only made a dead end. So our text is primarily about poverty of spirit, but still closely aligned with a good riddance of class distinction. The ancient, see the ancient Greco-Roman world, I'm going to drill down on this just a couple more seconds, a few more seconds. The ancient Greco-Roman world knew nothing of equality. Infanticide was commonplace. Plato had an extremely elitist, even a fascist political view. Aristotle believed in natural slaves. Jesus came to bring a kingdom based on amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And that was not written by a poor man. But amazing grace that saved a wretch like me was written by someone at the top of the social class named John Newton, a slave trader, not a slave. So that's why I say today that this isn't about social class, but this is about everybody realizing that they are poor in spirit. That if you're going to take a seat in this place and really enjoy having a seat in this place, it's because you feel so blessed to be here. Amen? I want to make a very bold statement that some of, some of my friends at society won't agree with, but I, I'm, I stick by it, that the philosophy of equality only exists because of the gospel. The philosophy of equality, whether it's gender equality, racial equality, class equality, it exists that Jesus Christ, as I said it a minute ago, Jesus took the wrecking ball to class distinction. Somebody say amen. That's wonderful. The Lord, now now let me give you, I just want to give you like four or five reasons that the Lord hates empty seats. The Lord hates empty seats because he wants the vision and values of the kingdom to saturate our social lives. God doesn't want us to separate our social lives from the kingdom of God. If I'm a child of the kingdom of God, then I don't have two compartments of my life. I don't have a secular and a spiritual part of my life. My life is completely committed to him. My life is turned over to him. So whether it's the seat next to me at church or in other parts of my life, I want those seats to be filled and I want them to be filled with people who are hungry for God's grace. That's the continual search. I'm like a, a, whatever product you sell, you know what you're looking for. You're looking for somebody who wants your product. That's why when you walk into a car dealership, the first thing they do is try to eliminate you if you're not ready to buy a car today. Right? They, They don't want you to waste their time. They're looking for people who are hungry for cars. They're looking for people who are hungry for a new set of wheels. And that must become the mentality of God's people. That we're not looking for the right people. We're looking for the hungry people. We're looking for the people who are thrilled with the idea of grace. If they happen to be poor, fine. If they happen to be rich, that's fine. But the common denominator is that they're hungry for grace. The Lord hates empty seats because it's about us having the kingdom experience. And I've already made this point, so I don't need to comment much on it. The Lord hates empty seats because it is about us having the kingdom experience now, not later. 
Yeah, we're going to have it later. Who, who knows how incredible it's going to be later? The kingdom of God is now, but not yet. Yeah, we're going to have it later. He, Jesus in this text refers to the resurrection of the righteous. That's going to be so amazing. I can't even, I'm not sure I can figure it out how wonderful it's going to be. I'm not sure I can define it. We have terms like heaven. We have terms like rapture. We have all these wonderful terms. We have terms like the, uh, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem coming down to earth. We have terms like a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, we have a lot to look forward to. But I'm telling you, we also have a lot to enjoy now. Amen? And a lot to do. The Lord hates empty seats because it probably means we are stubbornly holding out for our friends who aren't hungry for grace. It probably means those seats there, you were hoping to find some people to fill them that were just a whole lot like you. They like to talk about what you like to talk about. That could afford to play golf where you play golf. They could afford to go to the restaurants that you like to go to and take the vacations that you take. God says, stop holding out for your friends. They can still be your friends, but stop holding out for them who have told you in a 20,000 different ways, I don't want to go to your church and I don't want your grace because I don't think I need it. And find some people who are hungry for acceptance, hungry for what God has, hungry for something to believe in, hungry for hope. If you start listening as you go through your days, if you start listening and watching as you walk through your neighborhoods, even when you're shopping, you will find there are people who are hungry for hope and hungry for change and hungry for grace and want to know there's something more to life. There are people all over the place. We had a woman here. We had an international banquet here Friday night. And I sit down at a table with a, with a nice lady and begin to talk to her. And Mary, where's Mary? Mary, what was that lady's name? Melanie, Melanie. I actually remembered it for like 30 minutes and, and went back and she was so impressed. You remember my name? And, uh, you know, which is great with my early Alzheimer's that I got going on. But, uh, you know, Melanie was driving by the church and she said, I was just looking for a place to eat. I was hungry and I saw the sign, banquet. And I came in, this is great. I think that's a metaphor. I think God let that happen to me to tell me that there's hungry people that are driving by this church. There's hungry people that would love to experience what you're experiencing. And you tell me, you're great. I mean, uh, uh, Steve Mograce over here, he's, it, 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 the, the seats aren't empty because of you, Steve. Because you've been telling everybody Get your, get your butt down to that church. Right. Steve's been telling the world and social media that this is where they need to be. He gets it. He gets it. He gets it. I like it. Somebody else would like it. I'm blessed. I think somebody else would be blessed. And it's true. And you, you, you know, you know the, these, these friends are being flaky, Okay. These friends, because when this guy invited them, they started giving all these. Do you notice they were called excuses? There are reasons. 
why people don't come to your social event. But then there are excuses. The one guy says, I got to go see this field I bought. What kind of idiot buys a field and has never seen it? It might be in the Everglades. You know? Another guy said, I bought these oxen. I got to go try them out. Well, it's a little late, isn't it? You bought them. Well, I got to go test drive a car I, I just bought. Why not just, just save it? Just test drive it tomorrow because you already bought it. The, the other guy said, uh, I just got married. And the, the deal is when you got married in that culture, all, of your, all you did for a year was go to parties. All you did for a year was go celebrate. You, 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 were, you were exempt from military draft and all kinds of other obligations. So you and your spouse could just be together, party, and go out with friends. So that's a, that's a good, uh, that'd be a good thing, Emma, right? You agree? We ought to try that in our culture today. And I, since I didn't get to do it, I'll take my year now. Luke 14, 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell, tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready, but they all begin to make excuses. So they all made excuses. Because see, here's the deal, the way it worked, you, you, you know, like today, we, we'll send you an invitation to a dinner and it'll be RSVP and we'll give you the time. But everything was different in that culture. The food, food prep was, it, they would set up a dinner, but then they had to go find the food. They probably had to go kill some animals, you know? They probably had to go out to the farm somewhere and get the food. So you didn't know exactly when the food would be ready. So the invitation fell into two parts. So it wasn't like they got surprised. They knew this is how it worked, but they made excuses. And you, you got friends like that, right? You love them. You care for them. Maybe they're members of your family. And you came to Christ a number of years ago. And you thought for sure that, that, that the people that are cool like you would think this was cool, but they still haven't showed up. Well, Jesus got an answer for that. Jesus got an answer for that. You know what his answer was? Go find some new friends who are hungry. I don't mean to get rid of your old ones. I'm not saying that. I I don't think Jesus was saying that. But go find some people that you connect with at a heart and social level that you have conversations with, that you make it, you know, I, I, the kingdom of heaven is a hand. I've got it. I've got to build the kingdom of God. The Lord hates empty seats because he wants us to be most urgent about what he, what he is most urgent about. He said, notice what he said in verse 23. He said, make them come. The King James Bible says, compel. That's the Greek word, anatki. And it means to necessitate, to compel, to constrain. It was a word that was used to talk about calamity or distress or crisis. And so this is the level of emotionality and compulsion which we turn to those who realize, which we turn in our hearts, I mean. Our hearts turn to those who, who realize their need of grace. Jesus is saying, you must treat empty seats like a crisis. Think of all the stuff that we do treat as a crisis, and it will sober you a little bit. If your phone quits working, that's a crisis. 
if the, your Bluetooth quits working in your car. That's a crisis. If the doctor tells you you've got to lose 30 pounds, that's a crisis. Jesus said, are you people tired of first world problems? I want to give you, I want to give you a real problem is that people are out there who haven't yet decided how they're going to spend eternity. And you have a message and you have a church that is there for them. That's what you get emotional about. Finally, the Lord hates empty seats because he has blessed us and equipped us to rescue humans from dark forces that hold them in bondage. Oh, I wish I had time this morning and, and maybe we'll fit that in another time to go around this room and talk to you about the bondages that have been broken because of your affiliation with good, caring people that are in this place. But what about just the, some of you may not even know about the wealth of grace that God has given to Bethany Community Church. You may not even be aware. You know, this church is 58 years old. 58 years 58 years of pretty stable times without any major scandal. Only had four pastors in 58 years. I've been here 29. Sherry and I have been here 29 years and our kids. And that's amazing. We haven't had major scandal <laughs> or, or even doctrinal controversy. We're structured, I love the structure of this church. You won't believe what I hear when people come here from other places, even places, big, gigantic places like Willow Creek. I recently took one of the staff members from that organization through a tour of all that we're doing. You know what him and others always say? We have never seen a church this size who does this much. Now, now, it may sound like I'm just kind of bragging a little bit, but I, maybe I am. But I think by the time I'm done, you'll get, my, you'll get the point that it's not just a brag fest. We're structured to be outward focused. We have established an economically sustainable means of doing outreach and being missional through our thrift stores and our other businesses that we've developed. The recent overwhelming community support. I don't know if you understand what just happened to us when there were implications by all major news media outlets in southern New England that cast aspersions on this organization and our ethics. And you know what? It's just so, I, I just didn't realize it, how people feel about us in this community. But you know what we heard over and over and over again, and we're still hearing it from people who are not part of us but are in the community. Community leaders in Milford, Mendon, and other towns, they all, one by one, they're saying to me, oh, we weren't worried about you guys. One guy told me, we know you guys do things the right way. We had overwhelming community support. We have been given grace and favor in this community. Yeah. 
I don't know if you saw the headlines in the Milford Daily News a couple of days ago. The gentleman next door who owns more probably more property downtown than anyone else, owns the building next to us, had called me weeks ago, many weeks ago, and said, thank you for what you did to your building. Said, he said, I've got to talk to the other store owners down here about improving the front fronts of their buildings. And I got to get rid of that ugly awning that's on the front of my building. And he said, I got to call you. I called you because everybody's thinking your building is my building and they keep thanking me. And I don't know if you saw the headline. Ron has issued, started an initiative with Milford Selectman to improve all the properties from, from St. Mary's all the way to the police station. And if, it, if it's accepted, I think it's something like, it's, if I'm reading the article right, it's like $20,000 per business that they're going to make available. And they're talking about tearing down a half a block from ours. They're talking about tearing down three buildings and building a parking lot. I'm telling you, we need to get our brains around, wrapped around what God is doing with us. Or we'll be like, you know, Rip Van Winkle? The, 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 the story of Rip Van Winkle is that he slept through a revolution. That's the story of Rip Van Winkle. He slept 20 years. He slept through a revolution. And when you're on the inside, sometimes you don't realize what God is doing. Let me, let me go on. I'm, I'm getting bogged down a little bit, but I want to share it with you. We have, we have uh, 27 ministries, or 28, depending on how you count, within BCC, where people can serve and be served. I counted 27. We have five ministry facilities in four different towns with an approximate square footage of 140,000 square feet. And I'm being conservative on that. Well, in fact, I want to do a little flyover of our, of our uh, properties. This is uh, the Milford Blessing Barn, one of our Compassion New England thrift stores that funds our community outreaches, houses seven special needs programs, and a food bank. This is the, the Men and Home Store Blessing Barn, our second Compassion New England thrift store that funds our community outreaches through sales and other creative businesses. There we have a community room, that we give free to local community groups and a field that hosts local youth lacrosse league and the annual Lions Club Fair and other things that we make this available to the community. This is the Northbridge Happy Place where we minister respite care for families of kids with special needs and we have a transitional mentoring program for women. I'm so excited about what God is doing in Northbridge and what he's doing in that facility. Downtown is the home of the forum for our dynamic youth ministry, our church offices, our media department, our dwell ministry, prayer ministry, community groups, and soon a summer lunch program for Milford students during the 10 weeks of summer. Amen? 15 Cape Road, we'll get to that in a second, is where weekend services take place, multiple ministries to children and to the Bethany Christian Academy K-12 through school. I was reminded of a conversation that Uncle Ben Parker had with Peter Parker in Spider-Man. He said, 
You're a lot like your father, Peter, and that's a good thing. But your father lived by a philosophy, a principle, really. He believed that if you could do good things for other people, you had a moral obligation to do those things. That's what's at stake here. Choice, he says, not responsibility. In the first movie, they said it this way. And this is the original quote. With great power comes great responsibility. Within 20 minutes of our front door, there are 250,000 people. Within 20 minutes, there's 250,000 people. According to a Pew Research study done two years ago, 22% said they go to church every weekend, but the experts who looked at that said that's impossible. People are lying. They don't go to church to that degree, or every church in this area would be filled on Sunday morning. So we don't even have 22% going to church, and we are the lowest in the nation. Every church in this area would be jammed if we did it. We can change things, though. You know, the average person knows 200 people. The Institute for American Church Growth asked over 10,000 churchgoers this question. What was responsible for your coming to Christ in this church? 79% said a friend or relative invited them. In our staff meeting on Monday, we asked the question, and we got down. That's why this sermon came out of that meeting. What is the barrier to seating those in this room in need of grace? Is it spiritual? Is there sin in our lives? And talking about us and me and the staff, I'm not talking just about you. Is there demonic powers that we need to break through prayer? Is there a need for greater sacrifice? Do we need a shift in attitude? Do we need a call to greater generosity? Or is it just greater faith that we just need to believe? I want to give you four action points as I close today. What God expects from the grace-rich BCCers, that's you and me. One is I want you to pray over our empty seats. Number two, I want you to daily look for people who are hungry for grace. Listen, listen, listen in all your conversations at work, when you're shopping, when you're walking through your neighborhood. Listen for needs. Number three, invite with urgency. I'll pick you up. I'll give you a ride. I'll take you. Let's go to lunch after. Come over to my house after and watch the game. Invite with urgency and don't grow weary of inviting. And number four, this is, please hear me on this one. Make sure the seating of guests and late arrivers is an experience of grace. I realize when I've not been doing this for 40 years, and I've never gotten a good response when I would say to the congregation, would all of you move forward a couple of rows because people are coming in? I get the death stare. Maybe you're more into law than you are grace. And maybe you're thinking those people deserve to have to walk down in front of everybody because they didn't come as early as I did. That's called law. And the law failed. 
and it's got replaced with grace. So when you get up and move, you're being a person of grace. When you own a seat here, that's not grace. That's law. And we won't build a great church with law. We'll only build a great church with grace. Somebody say amen or I'm going to get scared. That's a golf clap. Come on. You want to you build a church? Do you want to build a house of grace? I said, do you want to build a house of grace? Do you want to build a house of grace? Do you want to build a house of grace? Do you want to build a place where people matter? Make sure the city of guests and late arrivers is an experience of grace. We got to do this. We got to do this. I'm going to stand before Jesus someday. You're going to stand before Jesus and the car I drove, the house I lived in, the money I made, none of it's going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter is the people I brought into eternity with me. That's all that's going to matter. Whether the Red Sox win or the Celtics win or the Patriots win, it's not going to matter. All that's going to matter. It's not going to matter if you lower your golf score. It's not going to matter. All that's going to matter is that we brought people with us into eternity. What an exciting, exciting mission we have. Thank you. Now, I don't know uh, what you're going to respond to in this, this uh, prayer time. Maybe a personal needs, and that's certainly what we wanted to hear. But maybe someone would come and and say, God, I, I want you to show me, I want you to show me how to fill my life with people who are hungry for grace. I would just love it if a bunch of people came down here and they said to the prayer partner, pray that God will fill my life with people who are hungry for grace. Please, God, you know, give me, give me a couple minutes, okay? Give me two minutes. In the Old Testament, in the Bible times, and even over to the New, women who were barren, were so frustrated. And they would beg God, give me a child. Give me a child. They would beg God for a child. It was, it was considered the blessing of God to have a child. And you were considered cursed of God by many people if you couldn't have a child. I want you to put yourself in that main, same mindset. God, I've got to, spiritually speaking, I've got to have children. i got to have children, God. i got to give birth. i got to give birth to people who know Jesus, that's got to be my, my, my life. And so I want us to pray a quick prayer, and then I want you to move into response time and communion and be prayed for. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for, we have needs, I pray for those needs. But God also help us to focus on the, the greater need of the world, which is for the kingdom of God to come to the heart of every man, woman, boy, and child. The kingdom of God is here. Let us give ourselves to the kingdom of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's move into response time, Bethany. God bless you. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.